Uh, if you all see me fiddling around with my phone up here, I'm not checking Facebook. I'm just uh, getting the recording app going on my phone. And uh, that's just to remind you that uh, we do record all the sermons here. So if you miss a week, um, you know, if someone has you tied down to your bed with chains and, you know, and, and it's just keeping you from coming to church because that's the only reason we would be here, you can always catch up online. Um, now, seriously, though, we, we want everyone to be able to follow along. If you're sick for a week or you're out of town, um, you can catch up. Let's turn together to 1 Samuel chapter 5. And I would encourage you, if you don't have your Bible with you, that's just fine. That's why we have the blue ones and the pew racks in front of you. I would encourage you to take one and uh, find 1 Samuel. It's probably in the 290s. I'm not, I didn't check. 292, thank you. 292, you can find 1 Samuel chapter 5. And as we find our place this morning, I just want to remind all of us who are here and catch up those of you who weren't, that... In chapter 4, the greatest tragedy to befall the people of God in their 400 years of existence since coming out of Egypt has happened. The Israelites decided that the best battle strategy would be to go loot the house of God, to take the ark of God out of its rightful place and carry it into the battlefield Because surely, with God on our side, we cannot be defeated. The Ark of the Covenant, upon which Samuel reminds us, dwells the glory of the Lord. The God of Israel and all of His holiness. Surely, with this God held captive to our agenda, we cannot be overcome. But as the dust settled on the battlefield, tens of thousands of Israelites lay slain. The two sons of Eli, the wicked and profane priests, Hophni, Phinehas, lie dead. Eli, the blind, elderly, overweight, 98-year-old chief priest, lies fallen from a heart attack and a broken neck on the ground at the gates of Shiloh. And Israel, like a woman helplessly dying in the midst of her labor, is overcome by this tragic news, Ichabod. The glory has departed, for the ark of God has been captured. 1 Samuel chapter 4 very well could be the end of the story. Close the book. God's people are finished. And yet when we turn the page, we find another chapter. This, brothers and sisters... The very fact that we're able to come in here this morning after what we heard in 1 Samuel chapter 4 and to turn the page and to find another chapter is the grace of God. We serve the Lord of another chapter. That although when we are faithless, 
No matter how rebellious we are, no matter how presumptuous we are, no matter how disobedient, think of the worst thing that we could ever do. The existence of 1 Samuel chapter 5 today shows us that God cannot and never will be defeated by our sin. Even if He has to take all of our sin upon Himself. Even if He has to deliver Himself over as a sacrifice for us all. Even if He has to deliver His glory into the hands of His enemies. Even if He has to be conquered and laid in the house of death, the grave itself. Even then, friends, we know there's another chapter. After evening, there is mourning. After tragedy, there is triumph. After sorrow, there is joy. After the cross, there is an empty grave. After 1 Samuel chapter 4, there is chapter 5. And even before we hear anything that this chapter has to say to us, in its very existence, we have to rejoice. And so as we stand, we're going to hear from 1 Samuel chapter 5 where the Lord does this strange thing where He turns tragedy into comedy. Last week, the Israelites thought that carrying the ark of God into the battlefield would ensure victory. This week, the Philistines are going to learn that capturing the ark of God does not ensure a certain victory either. Let's stand together as we hear from 1 Samuel chapter 5. Verse 1. When the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the Ark of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and sat it up, set it up beside Dagon. And when the people of Ashdod rose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. But when they rose early in the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod to this day. The hand of the Lord is very heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory, And when the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon, our God. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, What shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, Let the ark of the God of Israel be brought around to Gath. So they brought the ark of the God of Israel there. But after they had brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against that city causing a very great panic. And he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. So they sent the ark of God to Ekron. But as soon as the ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, They brought around to us the ark of the God of Israel to kill us and our people. And they sent, therefore, and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of the God of Israel and let it return to its own place, that it may not kill us and our people. For there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city. The hand of God was very heavy there. 
the men who did not die were struck with tumors, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. Amen. You may be seated. In the Old Testament times, when one people would conquer another people, it was generally assumed among those armies that the one people's, the victor's God, was obviously more strong and powerful than uh, those who had lost the battle. The winner's God was stronger than the loser's God. And after what happened in 1 Samuel chapter 4, it's reasonable to wonder whether the God of Israel has maybe lost a step or two. Maybe he's getting a bit old and feeble. You know, maybe he's kind of like Eli. 98-year-old Eli, fat, blind, unable to do anything. Maybe he was unable to save Israel. In fact, he's not even powerful enough to prevent the ark of his own glory to fall into the hands of his enemies. The ark upon which sits his throne. 1 Samuel 4 invites the taunt. He saved others? He cannot even save himself. But 1 Samuel 5 puts all of that to rest. In 1 Samuel chapter 5, the Lord goes on a field trip of sorts. The Philistines, they are escorting him across the Gazan countryside and take him on a tour of their five major cities where all of their lords have their thrones. And as the Lord takes in all the sights and the sounds and every idol and every person and every city that he enters and visits is thrown into a panic. What starts as a victory, victory parade for the Philistines quickly descends into this foretaste of the day of visitation. And the visitation of the Lord is never benign. He's not just some traveler passing through. I would encourage you, if you want a good example of what we mean by this, go read Genesis chapter 19, when the Lord comes by and visits the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. The prophets foresaw a day looming in the future when the glory of the Lord would make its appearance, its visitation among the nations. The prophet Isaiah asks, what will you do on the day of visitation? In the ruin that will come from afar, to whom will you flee for help? And where will you leave your wealth? Nothing remains but to crouch among the prisoners or to fall among the slain. What we have in 1 Samuel chapter 5 is a foretaste of that coming day of visitation. The Philistines didn't realize that as they were ushering the ark of God, they were bringing the glory of the Lord into their midst. Ushering in a day of visitation of wrath and fury, of tribulation and distress. And the story this morning in chapter 5 could be broken up into three kind of successive scenes. And each of these scenes reveals something about what's going on with this idea of the visitation of the Lord. Number one, every idol will fall flat. Number two, every person will tremble. And thirdly, every city will perish. 
So let's explore these three truths as they come to us in 1 Samuel 5 for a few minutes. The story follows the Philistines in verse 1 as they're on their way back from the battlefield in Ebenezer. They've had this amazing conquest. And uh, they brought, they're bringing home all the, all the treasures and all the loot. And they've even looted the God of the Israelites. And they bring him back to their capital city of Ashdod. And they create this very tantalizing scene where they bring the Ark of God into the house of Dagon and they set him up right there on the pedestal, side by side. As some kind of prisoner of war. And yet the next morning, something very strange happens. Verse 3 tells us, When the people of Ashdod rose early the next morning, behold... Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. So they took Dagon and put him back in his place. You can picture the scene. Uh, the, the priests walk into the house of Dagon. They've still got their mug of coffee and they kind of creak the door open and the light shines in. And What do they find? They run in. The light streams on this embarrassing scene. Their God has fallen face forward in front of the ark of the Lord. And it's almost like this God is worshiping the Israelite God. And so quickly they sound the alarm, red alert, red alert, the eagle has fallen. They all come in and they get their crane and they're able you know, get a couple dozen guys up underneath and finally they're able to get the heft of this stone God back onto his pedestal where he rightly belongs. That was a close one, God. Next time you want to get out of bed, go call someone. We don't want you to fall. And they go back about their day, worshiping and serving the God they just had to help back into his chair. Morning number two comes. Sun up, verse four. But when they rose early in the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord, and the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut off on the threshold. Only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. Well, 1 Samuel 2, Hannah did sing about how the adversaries of the Lord shall be broken into pieces. And I guess she meant literally. She's not being poetic or metaphorical. She means literally in pieces. And the greatest comedy of this whole scene is how blind the Philistines are to its significance. Look at verse 5. This is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon don't tread on the threshold of Dagon in Ashdod to this day. God is giving these people a visible lesson. Your God has no head. He cannot see. He cannot hear. He cannot smell. He cannot talk. He cannot think. And His hands have no power to save and this is how the Philistines respond to that sermon. Where's the duct tape? They tape his hands back on. They tape his head back on. And then, because of all of this, they decide what we, need, we, we need to avoid the threshold because that's holy ground. Because we always need to remember that's where Dagon's head and hands once laid. And they go on worshiping this God who's so impotent. And when he stands before the God of Israel, he's a trunk 
fallen on the floor, heads and hands chopped off. Friends, I hope this morning that you are not as equally blind to the truth as the Philistines. On the day of visitation, 1 Samuel 5 shows us, every idol will fall. When the glory of the Lord enters a house, every other idol standing there must fall down flat. I wonder whether in your heart you've tried to set the Lord Jesus on a throne right next to your favorite idol. Our hearts are idol factories, brothers and sisters. Take a look in there. An idol looks just like Dagon. It's when you take something good, gold, silver, stone, wood, a job, a desire for friendship, Sex, a longing for children, or money. And we take these good things and we turn them into something to worship. We need it. We've got to have it. We'll do anything to get it. And we're so blind to the power that they hold over us and we don't recognize the fact that these things are so powerless to do anything for us. They can't see, can't understand, they can't hear, they can't speak, and they certainly cannot save. The day is coming when the Lord Jesus Christ will come to judge the living and the dead, and on that day, every idol will lay smashed in a thousand pieces on the threshold. Who will save you then? On the day of visitation, every idol will fall. Well, the scene transitions in verse 6 with a telling statement because while the priests of Dagon are doing their best to reattach his hands, verse 6, the hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod. And he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, The ark of the God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon our God. Before we move on, just one more point about uh, the first point. You know something is an idol if you have to protect it. If in your mind you have to create justifications and excuses for why you need that thing and you shield yourself from criticism or from sharing it with anyone else because you know they're going to point out the truth about it. Real gods don't need protecting. False gods do. False gods need you to build a little wall around them so they don't get knocked down. Well, in the second scene, we see that the hand of God that karate chopped Dagon the night before is now laying heavy upon the people. The word there, heavy, is actually the Hebrew, same Hebrew word for glory. The glory of the Lord has departed Israel, and here it is laying heavy upon his enemies. Every idol will fall, and secondly, every person Will tremble. The narrator tells us that the people of Ashdod were terrified and afflicted. 
You might be asking yourself this morning, what have these people done to deserve such treatment from the Lord? They're minding their own business, and here comes the Lord, and He's striking everyone with tumors, cancer, and death, making every man tremble. Here's the problem. These Philistines have no interest in abandoning their God, even though they know He's useless. Even though the Lord has proved Himself to be more powerful and deserving of their worship and their honor and praise than Dagon, even though they've seen Dagon himself bowing down and worshiping the Lord, they will not do it. In fact, they cry out for the Lord to just leave them alone. It's one thing to worship a false god in ignorance, but when that god comes and visits you and proves His glory and His deserving of your honor and praise... And then instead of worshiping Him, you choose to continue to bow down before your puny, impotent God, whose hands and head were cut off by this God. And you dust Him off and you get out your glue and you try to glue the hands and head back onto Him instead of worshiping the true God. Then that's on you. (laughs) And laugh at the blindness of the Philistines This is the state of mankind apart from the awakening of the Holy Spirit. We are all blind and ignorant and dumb because the Bible says we have become like the idols that we worship. Although it is plain as day as we look at 1 Samuel chapter 5, this God can do nothing to save these people. We still follow them blindly. We still worship them with deaf ears. And we still love them with our diamond hard hearts. You see, the problem is that you and I are creatures created by this God of Israel. And He has provided you and continues to provide you with every breath, with every meal. He sustains your very existence. And when you take all the good things God has given to you, and you use them to worship and glorify and serve some other false god, you spit in His face. Paul says, although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him. But they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And they exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves. Why? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Your worship, O Philistine, of any other God than the one who gave you life, especially when you know that He exists and that He rewards those who seek Him, is an act of cosmic rebellion. Be it known this morning that unprovoked by anything other than the compassion and mercy and grace of God, this Lord became the man Jesus Christ. 
and lived a perfect life on this world so that He could die on a cross and be raised from the grave in order to offer forgiveness of sins to rebels like us. If you choose this morning to hear that and to continue running headlong after false gods and refusing to enthrone Him in your heart, how can you think that you will stand on the day of visitation? Every person will tremble. Every man and woman who despises the sacrifice of Jesus Christ for sinners like us on the day he returns will tremble. The hand of the Lord was heavy on the people. So heavy they say, we can't bear it. Every idol worshiper among them was trembling. And so what did they do? Did they repent? Did they cry out to the Lord for mercy? Verse 8. So they sent and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, What should we do with the ark of the God of Israel? And they answered, Send it away. Let the ark of God be brought around to Gath. So they brought the ark of God around to Gath. I wonder if the hand of God is resting heavy on you this morning. Are you pleading with Him for mercy? Or are you just pleading with Him to leave you alone? On the day of visitation, every person will tremble. Finally, we come to the third scene in verse 9. Is the punishment first fell on their God, then fell on the people, and then finally it falls on the cities. On the day of visitation, every city will perish. At this point, the Philistines are just playing hot potato with the Ark of God. Nobody wants it. Just toss it on, trade it on to the next city. Look at verse 9. But after they brought it around, the hand of the Lord was against that city, causing a very great panic. And he afflicted the men of the city, both old and young, so that tumors broke out on them. So they, went, uh, so they sent the ark of God to Ekron. But as soon as the ark of God came to Ekron, the people cried out, They brought it around to us, the ark of God of Israel, to kill us and our people. Number three. Every city will perish. No matter which Philistine city the ark visited, the same thing happened. It was the same result. Wrath, destruction, fury. Verse 11 tells us that a deathly panic pervaded the whole city. Each city that the Lord visited. For the hand of God was very heavy there. Why? Well, in verse 11, the Philistines, dense as they are, finally figure out the proper solution. Verse 11. They sent therefore and gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, Send away the ark of God of Israel and let it return to its own place, that it may not kill us and our people. Did you hear it there? Let it return to its own place. There is a place where the throne of God belongs. The Lord has a place where He rules. And it's not Ashdod, although He does rule over Ashdod. It's not Gath, although He has total authority over Gath as well. It's not Ekron, 
Although every, Ekron, every idol in Ekron will fall before his feet and every person in Ekron will tremble. It's the one city that when they see the glory of the Lord approaching, they cry out, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. It's the one city where the Lord says, as for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. This city of God, this Zion, this holy city, this holy mountain is none other than the new Jerusalem. John writes, and I saw the holy city, new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, behold, the dwelling place of God is with men. He will dwell with them. They will be His people. And God Himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. Pretty good news for the people of 1 Samuel chapter 4, isn't it? We left them in Israel crying, weeping over a great tragedy. But the throne of God is going to return to its proper place. On the day of visitation, when the Lord Jesus returns in all of his glory, every city will perish. Only one city will stand. The city that is his own place. The city where he dwells with his people. Brothers and sisters, I don't know whether you think about this very often, but one day the city of Newberry will be burned with fire. The city of New York, Washington, D.C., London, Beijing, all the mighty cities of this world will perish. And what will remain? The church. The New Jerusalem. The place where His glory belongs. The church is the only thing eternal in this world. And I wonder this morning, are you a part of the church? On the day of visitation, every city will perish but one. All the cities of man will fall. Only the city of God will stand firm. Are you now living under the rule of Jesus Christ? Have you fled to his city for refuge? Do you know the truth that He has promised? I am with you always, even to the end of the age. What city do you call home? On the day of visitation, every idol will fall. Every man will tremble. And every city will perish. But everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for chapters like 1 Samuel 5, which remind us that you who sit in heaven laugh at the efforts of your enemies to overpower you. You are such a mighty God. And we thank you that you have laid your mighty hand against the cross so that it would be pierced for our transgressions. 
so that you could overcome sin and death and fill us with joy and life. Lord Jesus, I pray if there's a single person, a boy or girl, man or woman, who's bowing down before idols, who trembles before you and has not cried out for mercy, who's still living in the cities of man, God, I pray they would flee to you for mercy, fall at the feet of the cross, pleading for grace. And Lord Jesus, trust in you and that you would be enthroned in their hearts and all other idols would fall. We pray this all in trusting in Jesus' name. Amen.